Hey yo, we about to tear it up. Yo, break for break, break for break, get down. This right here is how we do it. Break it down. It's the Break Catchers podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the Potty Mouth of the South. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual. Chris, you're back from your break. How was it? My break was lovely, man. I was in the um I was in the green side of the country, man. It is nice, you know, like wells and whatnot, you know what I mean? Wells and whatnot. Yeah, yeah wells. <laughs> nature and that, nature and that. Yeah, it was 30, it was 30 minutes walk to go and get milk. <laughs> oh, that's when it's really lovely. Did you have a reception though? A what? Did you have reception, Wi-Fi and that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so the Wi-Fi called me for a cup of water. <laughs> Come on, man. Um, we have uh, yet another special episode, and I am going to start sounding uh, repetitive when I say that, but we have a, a very special episode to follow on from OC, uh, a producer, an artist that we both admire, um, Marco Polo, which I'm really excited about. I know you are too. It's going to be a good one. Um, he speaks a lot. We got some exclusives from him too. Yes, yes, we did. We, um, we, we found out a few things. Found we out found out a few things, things that we didn't know. Yes, um, as, as usual, because, you know, we're just coming with the classic interviews, man. Like, oh, come, come on, on, no, no, come no. on, man. This, this, is, this is the MC in you. You start, you start feeling yourself in it. Puff, puffy, tone it down, innit? What I want to say before anything, and I said this to, to Marco after the interview, he is, outside of being an incredible artist, he is actually genuinely a very nice guy. Absolutely, I, I agree. It was like talking to talking to someone that I've I've known for ages, but in some ways, I guess I have known him through his music. So he's yeah. very much he's you know when you consider his success, very very grounded, very responsible type person, and these are the kind of people you root for. Definitely, definitely. And so in this episode, he talks about his relationship with Shiloh. He talks, talks about Port Authority 2, New Port Authority, whether we'll get the end of the trilogy. He talks about Large Professor. We've got so much to get through in this episode. I think it's a good hour and a half uh, and we're going to leave it out. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. Check it out. So it's another special episode. I'm going to start sounding like DJ Envy at some point where we keep going. It's another special guest uh, on the Breaking <laughs> Atoms podcast. Um, but to follow up with OC... Um, a legend in his own right. We've got another legend of his own right. Marco Polo joins us on the Breakouts podcast. How are you doing, Marco? I'm good. Thank you. Appreciate so, it. So we, we know where you come from, right? We know you're you know, Canadian. You made your way to New York. You, know, you made beats for the best of them. We can get through all that. We've done that. You've talked about that on your own albums. Um, I guess the, the first question I want to ask is, um, when did you first start making beats? And was there a particular track that sparked that fire? Mm. Well, in 1999, I got a student loan from the government of Canada. <laughs> and with that money, I bought my first MPC. So that was 99. Um, and the main inspiration for wanting to make beats, I don't think it was a particular song. I think it was just falling in love and discovering hip hop and, uh, it's got to be between RZA, JD, and Primo, and P-Rock. You know, just hearing, hearing their stuff and going, what is, where are these sounds coming from? Like, I want to do that. Like, I was terrible in school. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And then when I started hearing that stuff, I went to engineering school with that same student alone, bought the MPC, 
and just started making really, really shitty beats for quite a long time. <laughs> and I met, cool, I met Shiloh, which is my brother, and he kind of taught me how to use the XL, gave me a bunch of sounds, and I was making a bunch of bootleg fake primo beats that were terrible. And then that led into me finishing school and moving to New York to intern at the studio. This is the very short version, but uh, in this whole time I'm, I'm practicing, you know, I'm making beats every day. It's like, it's like going to school making beats when you're learning. You got to do it every day. Like if a DJ is practicing his routines to go to a battle, like every day I'm on the machine making something. Um, so in a nutshell, 2000 is when I started making beats, learning how to make beats. Yeah. Okay, good, uh, good, good start. Uh, minus the whole, the whole Canada thing. We're gonna get onto your your internship at the the cutting room. Is that right? That is right. Right. So we're gonna say, hold that thought. Um, I've got a lot of producer friends, and they're gonna be so upset if I don't ask them. Um, I'm a I'm an MC myself. There's a bunch of songs that I wish I had written myself. Um, good old love, Master Ace, Boom, Royce the Five Nine. There's a list of them. Um, what are some of the beats that you've heard from your inspirations that you're like, ah, I wish I made that one. Or, you know what, if, if there was some parallel universe and I could go back in time and make it myself, what would those beats be? Every beat on moment of truth. Fuck. Um, you know, and yeah. then, uh, Plum Village, fantastic volume two with, you know, that was my, really my introduction, introduction to Dilla. Like he had joints obviously before that <laughs> I see you. But really, those, those are the two guys that made me, like, I wanted to be them, literally. And to this day, I still want to be them. Like, I was telling Shallow the other day, not to get dark, but, you know, I'm an artist. And I'm like, you know, sometimes I just want to quit because I know I'll never be as good as Jay Dilla. And it hurts my heart because he was just, like, one of the greatest. Like, you hear his influence to this day. He is still influenced. He influenced a whole generation, and people are still discovering him now, like, uh, Primo is my all-time favorite producer of all time, but in terms of what I hear out there, Jay Dilla, the way he just made his shit move, the feeling, like, people are still trying to analyze it and figure it out. They never will. And, you know, I, I can't be Jay Dilla. That's the thing. It's like, he was one of a kind for a reason. These, these type of artists come along once every hundred years. That's, that's how I view Jay Dilla. Like, the way he did his drums, like I'll listen to the shit and I'll be like, I have that same drum break he used, but how did he get it to move and sound like that? I fucking love it. So shouts to Jay Dilla. Uh, he's one of my favorites. He still influences me to this day when I hear his beats. Um, and uh, I go off on tangents, so I don't even know what the original question was. No, you know, no, that's, no, perfect, that's, perfect. Absolutely, that's absolutely fine because we're the same. I was saying, what are the beats, like if there's any specific tracks or beats that you've heard, particularly from a, you know, DJ Premier and Jay Diller that you wish you would have made? Well, based on your answer, I guess, you know, it's I mean, pretty much everything they've done. For, for Primo, Above the Clouds, Nas is like, um, you know, boom, I wish I made that beat. Uh, <laughs> uh, D-I-T-C, uh, thick, thick. So many, man. There's so many. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a long list, man. It's a long That's list. A you've, long mentioned, you've mentioned two of our favorite producers. So we're with you. We know, no, we know definitely, how it is. Definitely. Um, just, a, just a sidebar on, sorry, go on. I, don't nobody care about it. There's another Dilla beat that makes me go crazy. Oh, mm -hmm. the, fat, the fat cat joint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. a good one. That's a good one. Listen, some of my friends are going to go crazy when they hear this. Summit, carry on. Uh, I was just going to say, quick sidebar for the next question. Um, Dilla was so incredible. Um, now, I've, I've probably heard maybe one song from this. I'm not going to tell you how or who, 
but he he did a whole album where he sampled porn right he did a yep. whole like project where he just sampled porn sounds and made <laughs> hip-hop beats over that's like, crazy that's, that's how crazy like that's amazing this like that guy was he, he was different and like you said the way he could he could envision something where with the drum loop uh, you know it's it, it, it's it, he is definitely one of a kind but i guess the question i had for you was the producing process so you talked about making beats every day when you first start making beats um i don't know if you make beats for a lot of producers like to make beats for a specific artist in mind is it just you go with the mood what's your process when you're making beats so in the beginning when i moved to new york it was just making beats because i was inspired being in new york so it was making beats with no agenda it wasn't for anybody i just want to make the dopest shit. now that has changed for me personally being in the game so long and now I've kind of teamed up with Ace and we're kind of like in a group situation. So a lot of my stuff is catered towards something he would like. Um, sometimes I just sit down and make a beat still for no reason, just whatever I feel, I, nobody in mind. It's, and honestly, sometimes I think there's a beauty about that because it's a little bit more natural, like whatever, you know, if the coffee's buzzing in me and the Newports are going and I hear something, I just go and, you know, but then it's important at that, and this is something for producers, I will say is that, you know, a lot of MCs, if you send them a bunch of dope beats, they might take all of them. Like you have to kind of like sift through them. Don't give an MC the opportunity to pick something that doesn't make sense for them because chances are they will, you know, they just like dope shit. They like to rhyme. So if you kind of like filter through your stuff and be like, you know what? I got these 10 beats, two of these beats, these would work for Ace. Two of these beats, this would work for Pharaoh, you know, and, and, Make sure you're giving people something that if they pick it, it makes sense. And it's not, you know, um, and that's something that I was taught early too, is send beats to artists that make sense for their style. Now, some MCs will tell you don't do that because you can't judge my style. I can rock anything, but you know, it's still my beat at the end of the day. And if I want to eliminate the, the chance of making something that doesn't make sense, I send what I think makes sense. And uh, so, and then certain artists, I don't think about that so much. I just send whatever because I trust them, but there are some people that just sound good on certain things, you know, and that, that's just my opinion, my approach, but uh, yeah. Okay. So um, Shiloh, you mentioned him before, um, before I ask this question, I need you to pass him a message for me, right? Tell Shiloh that we need the first two uh, first division EPs on streaming services. Yeah. If you can tell him that for me, I would greatly appreciate it. I will tell him that right now, or sorry, as soon as we're done, will be uh, ecstatic to hear that somebody cares. And I, and I would um, I greatly appreciate if there were, there were some links in my inbox as well. We can, we can talk about that. Um, is, it no true that, is, it true, you, is it true that, I know you mentioned it before, but what was the extent of Shiloh's like, teaching you how to produce? Was it just hear some sounds or did he sit down with you and say, boom, 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 this is how you do it? I can't even begin to give him enough credit for what he's done for me as an artist, but... Yes, it started with literally showing me how to use the MPC to giving me sounds to literally coaching me like even to this day after 20 years, every beat that I make goes to him first. Like no one in the world will hear it. Um, and some people might be like, well, well, why? But the whole reason is that um, we have egos and we want to be able to hold it down. But it's really important to have an honest circle of people in your camp that a keep you humble, keep it real and have your best interests in heart in terms of you progressing as an artist. And, you know, uh, I want critical feedback. I don't want yes men in my crew, no matter what. You know what I'm saying? If you look at all the greats, they have a team. 
Um, and I consider him a brother and part of my team. So if I send him something, he'll come back and be like, yo, the beat's fire, but that snare is trash. Like you can find a better snare. And if I played you the original versions of some of the beats to the ones that came out because of him, yo, if you make these couple of tweaks, it takes this beat from like a seven to a 10 and it is real. So I give him ultimate props. And, um, so yeah, man, he's involved in my life. If you look at all my albums, he's an executive producer. That's right. He's, I really look at us as a team, you know, like Marco Polo is a Mark. I, I'm my own producer. I come up with a lot of shit, but like, he's like, we're a team, man. Like when we do projects, we're working together. It's like a 50, 50. So I have to shout him out on that level because he deserves all the credit for, you know, what you hear on my side wouldn't be possible without his input straight up. Yeah. Big up to Shiloh. I, I, I love that. Um, the first division album. Uh, yeah. Heavy rotation. Cutting room internship. Uh, word on the street is that you replaced a certain Justin Smith. Just, just <laughs> please. Is that, is that correct? Well, I definitely didn't replace him, but he had the same position that I moved in. Well, no, I moved into straight intern position. So I went in and I was like, you know, making coffee, cleaning bathrooms, doing grunt work, like straight bitch shit. But I was like the happiest intern ever. I was Murphy coming to America, mopping the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, in, I'm in New York, you know? Um, and then thankfully that, that process or that period didn't last too long, maybe like a month and a half. And then, I got to be an assistant engineer, which is more responsibilities, actually more in the studio, in the rooms. And that's what Just Blaze was doing. He was an assistant engineer, studio manager, and then probably running his own session. So I didn't like come in and see him and then he left. Like he was gone before I even got there. But yes, I kind of jumped into the same position. He was at that studio. So that's really dope. And every time I see him, we always chuckle about it. Um, so yeah, man, the cutting room is where I got my start. It's where I started meeting people like Pumpkinhead, rest in peace. That's where I met Master Ace. That's where I met Kwali. Like a lot of people. Mm. A lot of people. I know studios are crazy because I spend a lot of time in them myself. Um, any crazy stories about artists who came to the cutting room? I, I don't know. Anyone miss sessions, waste some studio time? Like you must have seen it all. Um, share some with us um, and <laughs> don't, don't incriminate yourself. No, I don't care, man. I've actually, if you follow me on Twitter, I've been sharing a lot of old memories from the studio. I, I so, do, I do. But I wanted you to kind of bring them out here. I didn't want to come across like, you know, stalker Chris. No, no, no snitching, Chris, no snitching. About it, and now you want more dirt. Yeah, it's all good. But like, <laughs> my, my introduction to New York and the hip hop world was, uh, so Cutting Room had two studios. Studio A was the big room with the SSL. Studio B was smaller. Um, so we had two rooms. That was it. It wasn't a huge studio. So when I first started, Ben Zeno, you know, famous from, uh, as an almighty RSO from Boston and, you know, owning yep. the store, he had locked out both studios for like two months straight. It was, it was intense. So he's working on his solo album in Studio A, and then he has his son working on music in Studio B. Now, Ben Zeno was a very wealthy man. I don't know his, where he's at now. Shout out to the Ben Zeno. But he had literally the best of the best people coming in so you know he had producers coming in and dumping beats he had chucky thompson who produced wow. for mary Lige in yeah. studio with the kids uh shouts to chris rivers uh mm. big puns he was in studio b recording with benzino's son when chris was like a freaking man i tell chris all the time i'm like he don't remember me but i remember him he's in 
recording songs with Benzino's son. They were trying to start like a group, I guess. I don't know what happened with that music, but yeah, man. But it was just wild because Benzino wasn't, it's not like a one dude coming in to rap with the engineer. It was like the posse was there, his crew. So there was always like 30, 40 people in the studio, you know, and it's customer service. So, Hey, my boy wants a sandwich. Okay. Someone will get him a sandwich. Like there was just mad shit happening all the time. And I feel like most of it wasn't even music related. So, you know, a dude recording vocals in studio a, and then we hear this buzzing sound in the track and we're like, what the fuck? We look in the back of the live room and someone's giving haircuts while someone's tracking vocals. So Benzino had his barber come in and was like, yo, anyone need haircuts, go get haircuts. But it's in like the live room where they're tracking vocals. So we're like, love it. What's happening right now. So just, you know, crazy things like that. It was just madness. And I'm trying to process this just moving from Toronto. Like, is this what the, <laughs> like the craziest, furthest away from like the top of the insanity that it could get. And then other sessions I was around was like Quali's quality album my name's on that that record as an assistant engineer and those sessions were more calm you know seeing most Def. i just said the other day most Def used to you know mca when raucous moved to mca and they started getting major label money they would block out studio a at like 180 bucks an hour for 12 hours engineer paid we'd be sitting waiting for most Def. he'd come in in the last hour of a 12-hour session play the drums smoke a cigarette be out we're like wow so they label still got built for everything. You know what I'm saying? You know what's funny though? When you said that story about most death, I, I read it and I was like, you know what? That just sounds so most death. It is. That's him. That's him. I'm not, I'm not shocked. Like, I'm not shocked. He's one of those, uh, he's a genius, but you know, I could just imagine his, his working process is just mad. That's a factual thing that happened. It was no shots. Like, yo, that's, you know, if that's just part of his process, <laughs> those on Umi says I don't know maybe that's what he needed to do like I'm just saying that's what happened and it was hilarious we'd be waiting like oh yeah I'm gonna have a nice long session and watch most deaf work and learn and he'd come in for 10 minutes done (laughs) I was like (laughs) oh man life in the shoe is like that though right you could be waiting for hours uh and things could happen in a minute it it, it, you know just happens in studios yeah Um, they can do whatever they want they're still getting the same bill so the label calls what did he work on? We're like, uh, send you the drum take. There you go. <laughs> Marco, um, internships though, there's been a lot of, um, I think there's been a lot of back and forth and discussions about whether unpaid internships are morally and ethically responsible. Um, people are trying to do away with them and some people are arguing, well, you know what, it teaches people the ropes, yada, yada, yada. What are your thoughts about unpaid internships considering that you've done one and you've become fairly successful after doing one? I think they're fine, man. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old. So I'm, I'm from the, I don't know what my era is, but we work for shit. So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the unpaid internship, especially if that's what they tell you from the beginning, you're an adult, you make a decision. You know what I'm saying? No one's lying about it. This is how it works. It's how it's always worked. And for me doing that grunt work, yeah, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was for a bigger purpose. And it was about earning your stripes, paying your dues and learning along the way and getting the knowledge you get in those situations trumps any classroom ever real life experience. The classroom is good for audio stuff. You learn what cables do, what this button does, what it doesn't teach you. What do you do when, when, when you're getting no signal and you have inspected deck in the room paying and shit's not working, you got to think quick, what the fuck are you going to do? That's way different than being in a classroom with no pressure. Like these things make you a man in terms of, learning how to record, work with artists. There's so many levels to working with artists, um, just in terms of 
it being customer service based, if you're an engineer to understanding the vibe to, you know, ignoring technical for creative stuff. It's, there's no right or wrong answer, but I am pro internship. I, I don't think, you know, it's not fun not getting paid, but like I said, it's been a part of the industry for years. And what I took away from it was to me more valuable than any little paycheck they could have gave, gave me, you know? So. Well yeah, said. I think, uh, yeah, I think music, the music business, when you're an artist, MC, manager, PR, journalist, when you get exposed to that, you, you almost fast tracked into the people's business. So you understand different types of people. So in, in what, any given night, you might work with a DMX, meet a groupie, meet a great manager. You, you, you get to understand people's emotions. And I think, I guess, for someone like yourself in the studio, the cutting room, either assistant engineering or engineering or mixing or tracking records, you've got to catch a vibe of a certain artist. And you've got to, and there'll be so many different people walking through that room that you, you're, it's not one size fits all approach. You've got to be a people's person immediately every day because like you said, the customer's always right. But when I worked in the music industry back in the late 2000s, um, that's what I found. The best thing I learned about the music wasn't just meeting great people. That was great. But it was actually what I learned about myself and how I learned about what other people are. I now read emotions. I can read passive aggressive people and how to deal with them. Everything learned by being in the studio, being with artists, I think. So that's, uh, like you said, to, to kind of further any points, really good. Yeah, well yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought Marco was going to turn into like a you know preacher on the pulpit just there. He was he was going in. I love this. This is amazing. This is what no. we need. We because yeah. we, we we're tired of you, Chris, isn't it? So we need someone. Else I hear to... that. I hear that, Marco. Um, you released an album called I keep saying Marco like I'm shouting him. You released <laughs> an album in 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 2005, I think it was called Can Goods, instrumental album. Um, yeah. My I have first. A... So go ahead. That was my very first Marco Polo release, like yes. solo. Marco. I have I have a copy of it. Um, I know it's very it's very hard to find. I have a copy of it. Um, it came out on Rasco's label, Pockets Linted. Um, and Rasco is uh one of my one of my favorite West Coast MCs. Times waits time waits for no man is a classic. Um, Pockets Linted though isn't necessarily a label that a lot of different artists sign to. Um, it's predominantly Rasco's thing. How did you connect with Rasco, and how did you you get canned goods out on that label? Rasco was very good at finding the young producers. That was his thing. He was the master. He had a great ear for who was the next dudes in the underground to be making that shit. Uh, I was just talking about this with Jake one the other day, because Jake was working with Rasco too. You know, wow. joints like the Sweet Science with Charlie Tuna. That was a Rasco joint. That's one of my favorite Jake one beats. And we also spoke about, and, and Rasco, I love you for putting me on, but we also shouted about how Rasco was the king of bouncing checks on motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's always so, the way. It's always so, the way. So it always happens, man. Yeah, but, but I say this, you know, because we're, you know, this is going to go on the internet and shouts to Rasco and he could see this. And I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to talk about these things because I'm not, I don't hold the chip on my shoulder for it. I was a young kid in the industry. And straight up, he gave me an opportunity to put out something when nobody knew who I was. You know what I'm saying? And that had value to me. Yeah, it wasn't a, a, a grand release that people remember. You know what I'm saying? I can't even find a copy of the CD for myself. You know what I'm saying? I was learning how to make beats. It's not, it's more like a, a little compilation of beats and joints. And, but, you know, it was my start. And he gave me that start. So all the business stuff aside, I was such a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I still appreciated that 
that lane and that opportunity to do that. And mm. me, I was a fan of Rasco, just like you. Time waits for no man. Like that era of indie hip hop is more connected to me because I came into the hip hop game late. So, you know, hearing Dilated on that album, Unassisted is one of my favorite Rasco joints wow. ever. Oh, so, you know, me being a fan of these dudes and then getting to work with them was like a dream come true. You know what I'm saying? And then I did some, I have some great songs with Rascal in my catalog, like Situations and What Happened to the Game, which was a 12 inch of his. Yep. These are the old, these are a lot of the beginning of my career was with dudes like, with dudes like Rascal. So shouts to him. And um, yeah, man, it's cool. You bounced some checks on us. You still got love. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I am the actual factual. Like Summit said, listen, if you ever need a hard copy, I'll send you mine. You know, it's no problem. Because I got it on my iTunes, man. I really appreciate it. You might want to hold on to that. You can get some money for it. Oh, listen, I don't sell no CDs. Like, I've got the collection needs to stay intact because I might have kids. I need to pass them on to them. You know what I mean? Generational wealth. <laughs> this is it. This is it. Summit, over to you. Um, you, you talked uh, about him earlier. Briefly, briefly mentioned Pumpkinhead. Um, kind of the first rapper you did an album with. Um, he was big on the scene, uh, especially in New York. What were your memories of working with him? Once again, another rapper I was a fan of before I even moved to New York. I remember hearing Dynamic on a, a mix show in Toronto, and I was blown away. And shouts to Jean Grey, who did that beat. Nobody probably even knows that. She used to go by Run Run Shaw with her, with her producer alias. So if you didn't know, Run Run Shaw was Jean Grey, and she made that beat. And I just love that song and that energy. And then when I moved to New York, I ran into him at an event, gave him a beat CD, and we started connecting. And I think once he got to know me, and I was like, yo, we should work on stuff. I'm working at the studio. His eyes lit up like the opportunist. He's like, your beats are dope, but I know you at the fucking million dollar studio. So <laughs> connecting and yeah, once again, the very first uh, MC to let me produce a full album, minus the one song that my boy Moss did, Orange Moon Over Brooklyn. It's a very, very bittersweet album for me because I wish he was still here. But, um, you know, a lot of people still enjoy that record and it's celebrated in the underground of course another under the radar release but a lot of fond memories he used to bust my chops we used to argue he used to make fun of me all the time but we made a great record and um like i said shouts to, to Pumpkinhead. Mm, i love that album um trifactor that's that's the one like that's 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 the one that's like could be top 10 marco polo beats for me personally wow yeah wow. trifactor tri tri series trifactor series I've noticed, though, since Poor Authority, you like to have a lot of scratches and scratch hooks on your music. And um, I'm going to assume that's because of your love of Gangstar <laughs> and groups like that. Yeah, of course, you know, DJ, I mean, he's Primo's not go crazy with the scratches. He'll tell you that. It was Marley Marl and, and a lot of other DJs before him. But Primo really perfected the sharpness of those catchy you know, scratch hooks. And yes, he influenced the whole generation. And I pride myself on keeping the DJ aspect alive in my songs as much as possible. Uh, over the years, over the years, I've tamed it down a bit. But you know, it's important, man, it's there, they're an element in this game. And, and uh, it brings an energy, it brings a vibe that is so hip hop, you know what I'm saying? Without sounding corny. It's like, I love hearing scratches on beats, you know, and and I'm blessed. I literally feel like I have access to the best. D you know, it started working with uh, with Links. That was my that was my next question. I was gonna ask you, like, you you work with like Links, Revolution, um, DP One, all DP these guys. One. Yeah. So my, my, the question I want to ask is, how do you pick a certain DJ 
to scratch on a certain record? Because they're not, they're not all the same. They've got different skills and qualities. Like, how do you think, all right, listen, I'm going to get DJ Revolution to scratch on Double Barrel. What's the process? The process is me and Shy think about it. Because Shy, Shiloh is an incredible DJ as well and has done, he's done the most scratches for me on all my releases. But me and him will sit down and we'll be like, okay, this song, like, and even Shy being a DJ, he was never an opportunist. Like, let me do everything. We'd sit down and be like, what makes the most sense? Because you're right, everyone has their styles. Even if you break down DJs in the game, it's like DJ Babu from the Beat Junkies and Dilated has a way different style than Revolution. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. and all have, you know, their strengths. And so, yeah, if we just need someone to go insane and just like literally steal the show and just do some neck shit, we call DJ Revolution. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Rev- has scratch hooks that are sometimes better than rappers versus you know what i'm saying like to this day i arguably put him as the the if not top three the best you know in terms of hooks and scratching or giving him that that 40 seconds at the end of a song like he is he is the man like listen to work the angles that's revolution everyone thinks it's babu but that's revolution um so and that's my dude so you know but then I got Shiloh, who is also another king, and nobody even really – he doesn't even get the props on the DJ level. He does from people who heard my stuff, but he is a beast for assembling hooks. Because a lot of people, especially it gets, it gets caught up with the language barriers, but they just scratch random lines over hooks that sound right. like hip-hop. That's not what you do all the time. There's songs where you do the fucking generic line. But then if somebody writes a song about something, like you got to go into crates and find shit that connects with the lyrics. Like it's – it's like someone's singing a hook. Like if I'm yeah. singing a song daughter, the hook's not going to be like, stab you in the face, fuck your life. <laughs> no, like it's not, you got to fucking go and find shit that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people drop the ball and they'll just, they'll do things that don't make sense. So it's, you know, and then, you know, and then there's times where it's like, you don't need any line. You just need one line that gets just cut up like crazy. It sounds funky over a break. And then, you know, so we really, you know, it's just like having a basketball team, man. Sometimes you need a three-pointer. Sometimes you need a layup. Sometimes you need someone that's good at passing. And that's how I view the crew of DJs. Like, they all have their skills, and everyone gets called in for certain things. And I'm very blessed. So, shouts to Lynx, Shy, Revolution, DP1, DJ Premier, who did scratches on my Guru track. Like, I'm blessed. I've, like, I feel like I got the – I got a lot of dope DJs in my crew. No, dope. Um, I had a question around nostalgia. The beginning of the video in particular, you got Shackman, Spaghetti Records. Was there, I know it's obviously the back in the day, but was there a specific connection for you to include those particular labels and those particular names in that video? So shouts to Chris Shackman and Theo Bark who directed that video. Um, Spaghetti Bender Music is my label, SBM Music. So that was because of me. Everything else was their creative whatever they chose. So Shackman obviously was Chris Shackman. I guess he just wanted to have his name in there. Right. You know, in the lead. I forget what other invoices were in that stack, but it wasn't really planned out. Obviously Spaghetti Vendor was my company, so that made sense. But the rest of it was at the director's, whatever he, what he had or he wanted to put there, got put there. So, right. And then looking back at uh, Newport Authority 2, I'm thinking to myself, like outside of like soundtracks where they may have appeared, but are you probably the, are you the first person and maybe the only person thus far, I might be wrong. Chris, you can tell me the actual factual. Are you the first person to put Rakim and Kane on the same album outside of a soundtrack? I never thought about that ever. So I have no idea. Um, I, you know what? I, I think, 
I don't want to say it because I'm the actual factual, but um, I think I think we're onto something here. I'm gonna I, have to I, I'm gonna have to dig it out. I'm I'm look, Kane. So I love Rakim for what he's done, but Kane for me, just for me personally, he's in my top five. I love Kane for what he was able to do, and he was obviously I'm not as old on what 35, so I had to go back and listen back. But then I, I was going through your discography. I was just like, hold on a minute. Has anyone else put Kane and Rakim and had the audacity to put them on the same album outside of a, 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 of a, of a soundtrack? And who could do that? There's only a few people that could have the, I guess, the gravitas, the pull to do that. So I'm going to give that to you. I just wanted to know if you... Yeah, no, we're going to give that to, we're gonna have to give that to Marco until we prove, we prove otherwise, if we can. You know what? I feel special. I haven't even... First, it blows my mind that I even worked with either of them. So shouts to two of the greatest of all time, uh, Rakim and Kane, man. Um, I'll remember the first time I had phone calls with both of them and like I never even thought about that I might be the first person to have them on the same record you, you, you've also produced tracks for each person on the symphony I don't know if you reckon like sometimes yeah. when you look at your career or just in life in general we sometimes forget what we've done that just hit me this week you've produced for each member yep. of the symphony that is true that is absolutely true that's true. That's right. Because G-Rap was on Port Authority. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, joints with Craig G. Ace, clearly I've done some work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kane was on my joint Rock Him. Yeah, man, that's crazy. I've yeah, got to ask, have... you, I've got ask you about the Kane song, though. Um, the sample. Uh, I'll be sure. Let's talk about this. This is a great story. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, man. I love the original record. That was on my wedding playlist, right? When I heard you flip the sample, I'm like, this is crazy. I love that track, by the way. I love what Kane was talking about. But it was kind of like, mm, this isn't necessarily like, it's something that's painfully obvious what it is. And Marco flipped it beautifully, flipped it. by the way. Why? Like, it kind of just went left from what I usually expect from you, even though it was dope, just because it was such a recognizable track. Okay. Let's start from the beginning. Big Daddy Kane recorded that song to a completely different beat. Wow. Okay. That's, that's wow. thing one I've ever shared that before. So you guys get the, you guys get the insider scoop on that. So Kane spit, and I'm famous for doing this. So within my crew, so he did the song and we're like, okay, it's dope. And then me and Shire are like, what and i had the night and day beat made that was just made in the stash that it existed alone by itself we said what if we just tried taking that beat and throwing it with what he just did will it improve you know and we put it under there and the, the instant energy change in marriage from what it was which wasn't whack to now it became something you could sink your teeth into um just because of the content he had and it just worked. It just worked and it had a whole new energy. And um, I sent it to Kane and I was like, yo, I, I, I tried something. I hope you don't mind. And, and he loved it. Then Shiloh did the scratches. He scratched uh, Socrates, shows to Socrates. Yeah, Canada. And yeah, man. So, but then the story doesn't end. So I put it out, not even thinking, Marco, you blatantly sampled, I'll be sure. Like, and this is why I put out Newport Authority 2, actually, when I first dropped it, I gave away the album for free, the MP3s. Yeah, I remember. Um, I did some limited vinyl because there was just so many sample things and I just didn't want to like, and now it's on streaming things and whatever. But anyways, I'll be sure hits me about a year later. He's like, yo. Uh-oh. And I was like, oh. He's like, 
And this is where, you know, my mind was blown. But he said to me, he's like, he said, he said, my song has been sampled so many times. He said, your version is by far the craziest and my most favorite version of this, the flip ever. And when I heard that, like dope. I became a little girl. Dope, dope. I'm telling you, man, when I heard you know, that song, that's, Marco. That's sorry, I don't mean to cut you. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's all good. I'll finish when you're done. Go ahead. I was going to say, when I heard that, I was truly convinced in my soul that Big Daddy Kane has at least a good, good couple great albums left in him. He might be touring and doing what else, but Kane, if he hooks up with man like you and Premier, it will be a problem. I'm convinced. <laughs> 100%. I don't disagree. Kane has still got it, man. Kane has still got it from a, from a performance point of view and from a lyrical point of view. He's still got it, bro. You don't Absolutely. lose that. That's, that's like form is temporary, class is permanent. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he will never lose that. He's that good. He is that good. Sorry. The Mount Rushmore type of MC uh, and shouts to Kane and shouts for doing a song with me. And he knows if he ever needs me, I am here, whatever he needs. You know what I'm saying? Um, but one more thing I wanted to say about I'll Be Sure is that besides him being cool, giving me props, not asking for a penny or saying, I'm going to sue your ass, which he could have did all that. Not that I made millions of dollars. It wouldn't have been a lot, but just all that made me have a whole new level of respect for him. Then he told me, he's like, yo, send me the instrumental. Every I'll be sure live show, the show starts with that beat. He comes out to it on, that's his oh. intro. Oof. Comes out to that beat. It sets off his live show. So it's like, besides you work I now am involved in some capacity with I'll be sure business. You know, when he does his shows, he plays that song. And just off the base of that, you know, it was just such a crazy experience, you know? So that could have ended very badly for me in many ways. And literally it was like the greatest uh, situation. So shouts to I'll be sure. Shouts to Kane. Um, good times. That's great. That story um, makes me smile. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Yeah. I think that um, I think like you said, Chris, Kane is, um, He's, he's different. He is different. Um, Marco, on um, Port Authority 2, um, whose idea was it to have uh, Michael Rappenport uh, as the kind of host and to kind of go through and flu flow through the album and, and the inspiration behind it? Was it like a Della thing, you know, the skits and things like that? What was the kind of inspiration? How did that happen? So it was my idea to get Rappenport. I was probably, me, me and Shiloh probably talked about everything, but I probably brought up the idea and shouts to Ace because I met Rappaport through hanging out with Ace. And Rappaport was just, you know, if you know him, you know he's a hip-hop head. He's like a crazy hip-hop head. So I was just in touch with him. And he was... So me and Shy kind of had the idea. Shy wrote out some rough things for him, like almost like a movie script because that was like the whole concept of my album. Because we're like, yo, this album is too damn long. He's like, fuck it. People need music. Just call it director's cut, extra long version. And let's write these, these, a script for Rappaport. So Shy kind of wrote most of the script. Literally, Rappaport came through. He met me downstairs at the local, my local restaurant where I hang. He met me. He came upstairs. I handed him the script. He didn't say shit. He went in there, did his Michael Rappaport thing to make it hit. <laughs> Ran through it. Done deal. In his, in his Rappaport way. And then we just kind of edited a million takes. He gave me so much material. And then Shy kind of went through it. And like, we just made it work. And it was like, once again, people showing love, you know, just for the genuine art side of things. And Rappaport didn't ask me for a dime. He came through on the love, did it. And 
I love wow. you, Ralph. You're a crazy motherfucker, but I love you. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, there's a there's an artist. So we, I want to talk about uh, one of the songs, West Coast Love, right? I want to talk about West Coast Love. There's an artist that comes up uh, between me and Chris. We started this podcast because we used to have pasta at a restaurant and talk rap. And we thought, why don't we just put this on, on, on a mic? Um, and one person from the West Coast that very rarely gets mentioned um, is King T. Um, West Coast Love, MCA, King T. How the hell did that happen? I mean, you know, you know what? It pains me in just on an artist level because like that, that song to me is such an accomplishment for me as a producer to have... Like those guys, both of them, you know, these are pioneers of the West Coast sound, you know, and it's, you know, we can have a conversation about many people that don't get their just due and their props. And I put Master Ace in that all the time. I tell him all the time, like, you are most humble dude yep. and you do not get shouted out as much as you should. And it's cool. We're not bitter about it. We just keep moving. I think it drives us. But when we're talking on the West Coast, King T is a perfect example of like, you know, like the Master Ace of the West, like where... He has influenced so many people uh, and spawned so many artists. Um, and to be able to have him bless me with two verses and a hook and shout me out and then get, and then MC8 was like icing on the cake. And then, you know, that's not a typical beat for me. It's very just like, you know, it's a loop. I put some drums, but it's just more of a vibe, you know, like I wanted to make some West Coast shit, you know, and I was like, we're the two most West Coast motherfuckers that I've never worked with. And it's like, Oh, I listen to that song now and I'm like, this exists, man. Like I want to play, I want to re-release that song. Like this just came out just for the people that haven't heard. Like, yo, get out. Um, so yeah, shouts to King T. He's just like, I mean, we could just say like the first two or three albums are like bona fide classics without question, you know? Um, yeah, man. And then the humility of the humility of a lot of these guys is really inspiring. You know, it's so crazy because um, working in the studio and coming up and now I've been in the game. I haven't noticed it, but people are starting to call me OG and legend and shit like that, which blows my mind. Cause I'm like, I just moved to New York, but that's not true. It's 20 years. It flew by. But what I'm trying to say is that, um, a lot of these OGs who have earned their rights to kind of keep a distance and maybe have a, a, a thing about them, you know, even this to say cockier to be a dick. They're not like that. Like I just spoke to Primo yesterday on FaceTime, you know, like, MCA, King T, Big Daddy Kane, dudes that are like the statues are the ones that have always been the coolest and showed me the most respect and have been like, you know, and then it's these kids that are coming up that act like they are Big Daddy Kane, you know what I'm saying? And I have to stop. <laughs> how, is, how is a man like Primo just randomly calling me on FaceTime to say what up, we go digging, but then some kid who made a beat for so-and-so is like, won't make eye contact with you because they just, they're like on this other level. And it's like, yo, like, you know, it just, it's a beautiful thing, man. It teaches me a lot about humility because the music industry is crazy and I'm not pointing fingers at artists or anything, but it's just like, they've taught me so much about no matter what you do, just it's about the music, be regular, be respectful and show love. And like, another thing at the end of the day, artists respect art. Like those guys might have not heard my name, but they heard my abilities and they said, you know what, you're dope. And there was a time when I was coming up and nobody knew me and someone gave me a chance. So it's just a lot of, a lot of blessings I've been given. Like that whole Port Authority and Port Authority too is just blessings. If you look at, I've worked with, to me, the, the greatest, some of the greatest artists that have paved the way, like large professor and fucking yeah. cool G rap, like, 
even now it takes sometimes interviews like this for me to remind myself like what I've achieved. You know, I might not have the mansion and all that shit, but fuck all that. Like the, the satisfaction and the respect from my peers like them, you can't put a fucking price on that shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm. There's no, there's no value for that. You know what mm. I'm saying? Yeah. To, to be in the, you know, to have tons of money, but like large professor looking at me and being like, yo, that beats crazy. I can't explain to you what that means to me. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. I, no, but it, it, the validation is is crazy. So it's a it's a leg it's a legacy thing. I, I want to give a quick sidebar and, and just talk about Primo for one second. So we can talk about his music, but Primo as a person is one of the most regular guys you'll ever meet. For someone <laughs> who's achieved so much, he's one of the most regular guys you'll ever meet. Um, the one funny story that I can tell you with Primo is we were at this um, place called Wagamama's. It's like a fusion Asian fusion place. And he was sat there and he goes, let me call Flavor Flav. So he calls Flavor Flav. And for a good minute, all Flavor Flav is doing is premier, 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 for a good minute. And I kid you not. And Primo just laughing his ass off. And as it said to me, this is someone who's just regular, just like, yo, this is called Flavor. Let's just go here. Like you said, go digging. He is so regular that he makes people feel so comfortable. He's so comfortable himself as a person but he just makes everyone else around him feel so comfortable. But I just wanted to give a shout out on a, not on a musical tip, but on a personal tip to mm. Primo because he oh, is, um, he's such a lovely guy. Yeah. And I, and I have to pinch myself, even after all these years of being cool with Primo, like I don't take it for granted. Like when he, every time I, my phone rings and it's him, it's, I, I look at it like it's the first time I'm like, yo, I've known you for like over 10 years, motherfucker. <laughs> but even on my phone to this day, I'm like, DJ Premier is calling me. <laughs> no, I keep that alive in me because I appreciate every, every phone call. Um, so yes, as a person, he is just like, literally, I've literally, I've seen him befriend strangers in a record store, just some random person who might not even know who he's talking to. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I wonder if this guy knows this like rock guy looking for rock records knows that he's, you know, and people don't care. Like you're cool people. Let's just go get a beer. Let's hang like that's Yeah. yeah. So it's rare and you have to appreciate it. So salute the greatest of all time, DJ Premier. I love you, brother. Yes. Sticking with uh, Port Authority 2, Marco, I've seen you in, in previous interviews talk about how stressful it is to put together compilation albums. Um, waiting for verses, getting artists to connect, whatever. And I'm here to publicly offer you my help, right? What do we, you and me, <laughs> right? What do we need to do to get Port Authority 3 popping? We need to close this trilogy. I am willing to help. Right, I will yeah. go and do, uh, look, man. I'll do the whole cutting room thing with you, man. You need coffee. I got you, man. We go. We need to go get Edo. We'll go and do it. What do I have to do? Talk to me. Oh, I mean, anything's possible, man. I'm, I'm never gonna say that it could never happen again. My whole thing is that you just—I have to feel the energy. You know, my whole thing is I'm over chasing people. Like I did it in the beginning because I was so hungry. And um, in the beginning, I had to pay my dues and have a lot of patience, but um, it's less inspiring now trying to like chase and convince people like I don't want to work with anyone that it's that difficult. That just feels at that point. It's not a natural thing that's supposed to happen. I want to connect with artists that want to work with me because they like what I do. And it's fun because at the end of the day, and um, you know, this is just me keeping it real. The producer albums are a labor of love. I am not rich off these producer albums. I do it because I love making music and I love making hip hop and I want to contribute to the culture like 
the people I heard, like when I heard Soul Survivor. But you can't tour those records. I can't go on the road with 50 people. It's not going to happen ever, you know. So it's really a labor of love. So if I'm going to do it just on love and know that there's no money and put all this time, it has to at least be fun. And I'm not saying those records weren't fun to make, but by the end of number two and Newport Authority 2, I was fucking beat down, man. I was beat down emotionally, mentally, physically. It was a lot. It was a lot. And it was worth it. I don't regret anything. So if I do it again, it has to be a situation where it's just an easier thing that comes together uh, naturally. Um, gotcha. And, you know, all the right people just hit, up, hit me up at the same time. And, like, you know, I have songs and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Trust me. There's, there's at least a full one or two albums of cutting room material from all those records that I still have, you know, that wow. I never, and, and it's hard too, because, because I'm such a perfectionist, you know, I may have rubbed a couple artists the wrong way and severed relationships because I didn't use what they did. And that's just me being such a fucking perfectionist and shallow too, that, you know, there's a price, there's a price for being a crazy, you know, perfectionist. And um, yeah, without saying names, I have some heavyweights that did, verses for me that I never put out, you know, cause I just didn't love it. And for me, it wasn't about, he did it. So he's a name I'm putting it out. It was, if I'm putting some shit out with someone I love, I want people to love it or else there's no point. Mm. You know, I've done with, with, with MCs I've never spoke about that never came out cause I didn't like it. Mm. And I was like, and I was like, I grew up listening to you and you've made some of the most crazy music. And I want to do that with you too. And if I don't, I bow out and I'd rather it not come out. It's not about just, I did it. People can see, I want it to come out and slap you in the face and have an impact like the shit you did before. I don't want people to say, Oh, you did an album Marco, but you know, it's cool. I'm going to go listen to this shit that, you know? So there was a, there was a lot of pain around those years because my desire to really just be you know, be looked at as a top tier producer that was in the new generation to really set his mark. And maybe I did that. Maybe I'm still working on it, but there's so much stuff around making producer albums. I mean, talk to Static Selector, talk to, <laughs> talk to these guys, talk to Jake One. I'm sure they'll have similar stories. You could do a whole segment on producer albums, but it is, it is a lot of work, fellas, a lot. Of, and it was worth every second. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, my while I'm looking at PA2 right now, I can't flip the computer, but the cover is looking at me every day, reminding me. So who knows? Maybe one day, if I get 10 or 12 dope songs, I could string it together. But yeah, anything's possible. You could, you could, you could always do a, uh, an album with us. I can't rap for shit. Uh, but we'll get it done. Port Authority 3, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, some say joking, right? You know, if in a parallel universe, if Marco Polo said to me, listen, I've got something for you. I'm dropping whatever I'm doing. Like, and I said, Marco, I've got you. This is why I'm asking, <laughs> because I love these, I love producer albums. I love them. Um, they're definitely, Chris does. definitely the highlight of my collection. You know, I'm a big wrestling fan, Marco, so I don't know if you grew up watching wrestling, but producer albums to me are like Survivor Series, where you get oh. a song like Astonishing, to me, is like you. You. We may never hear Deck, Large Professor, Tragedy, and OC together again. Together. Like it's one of those things where it's like a it's like a treat. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I love them. I just mentioned uh, Large Professor. Uh, this podcast is named after one of his seminal works, by the way. Yeah, of course. If you didn't know, um, Large Professor, one of the greatest producers of all time. Wait, sorry. What did you just say? The last part. So I was saying that our podcast is named after one of his albums. Breaking oh, Atomies. Um, 
you, you've worked with Large Professor a number of times. Um, he's the live guy with glasses, obviously, and he's the guy that made me comfortable wearing glasses um, at 10, <laughs> 11 years old. So how does it feel to have one of the best producers of all time say to you, listen, I want that beat, and then he puts hardcore hip-hop together, or I want this one, and then you come up with Professor at Large. Like, how do oh. you process it? And how do you go about making a beat for this person? And the last question is, because I believe that all producers have secret folders, right, with the best stuff. Do you have a Legends folder for people at Large Professor? Um, I don't, I mean, I definitely have beats that are more special that I'm not sending to any, like just anybody, like random. So yes, I would say that that's true, that producers have, let's, let's, let's use letters. So let's say an A, a B, and a C stash, right? <laughs> Yes, somebody like Lars Professor, I'm, if he hits me for beats, I'm going to the, the A stash, the A stash all day. And it's whack because you should really give everyone your A stash to represent yourself. But that's not fucking the case because it's a new world and sometimes I just don't make enough beats to have that many beats on hand. But yeah, you know, this is Lars Professor. Like, he, if you look at, at those albums that those joints are on, I think I'm the only outside producer besides him. You are, yeah. yeah. This is why I'm saying it's, it's, it's special. And that means a lot to me because he don't need me. He's a large professor. So to have the opportunity to be the one kid on the album doing a beat when it's all him, once again, it's very, very, it's a lot to process for me to take it seriously. So I have to give him bombs. I have to. I have to or don't fucking even bother being in the building. Like, you know, you have to do that. So, and he gave me bombs like Radar and Radar Remix. Radar, the Radar yeah. still one of my like, you know those, yeah, man. We're supposed to do a we're supposed to do a whole project. It's so you, you and Lars Professor. Yes, we're supposed to wow, do. Wow, wow. Has he ever done? He's never done a project with another producer, has he? Like just rhyming. No, and I shouldn't be one of those dicks that says that and then doesn't deliver it. But maybe saying it and manifesting it today will inspire it to reopen. Something, man. We got we got to do something, man. We got to make this happen. We first like, we got we got to get last professor on the show, and then we got to get him and Marco to do to do something together. Listen, listen! I made the biggest faux pas in my life with large professor, so I was running the city with my friend Marzi, uh, who's from Def Jam, and uh, we were running. We went to a Q-tip party, and he introduced me to the Beat Nuts, which was great. It was lovely. He introduced me to Q-tip, which was great and lovely, but it was really dark. And uh, he 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 dapped someone, and then I dapped them after. And then as I walked away, I realized that was Large Professor. And I didn't realize, because I, I would have started, like, put my hands in the air and, like, you know, I didn't realize until I said, Marty, was, was that Large Professor? Yeah, I went, oh, my Lord. Never seen him again. So um, we, we will make that happen. Honestly, that has to happen pro and yourself. I mean, the radar, like, I mean, firstly, shout out Mick Boogie as well. I forgot to say that earlier, because obviously uh, Port Authority. But... You and, you and Professor have to do that. If, if we want to get anything out of what's going on in 2020 and how trash 2020 is, this might be the thing that gets us through the tunnel, Marco. This, <laughs> might, this might actually like, might be, be Corona. And I have to go apeshit, though, with him. Like, I, have to, I have to go to a whole other chamber because, yeah, you can't fuck around with that. No, if you I'm have to... You have to light candles and um, like start levitating and all of that. <laughs> Dead serious. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. That, now it's been said, it has to be done. Absolutely. Marco, <laughs> let's talk about um, 
your your latest release. Um, I listened to it yesterday as well. Uh, a Brooklyn story. First of all, congratulations on that. The album was like 15 years in the making. Um, I listened to it again for the first time in a while, and it's an incredible, incredible, incredible project. Um, Thank you. I want to pay my respects as well. Uh, you you immortalized your dad's voice on that project. Um, am I correct in saying that's actually your dad on the skit and Shiloh recorded it? Yeah, that's my actual father. Uh, boarding his yeah, Shiloh went to to see my dad in Toronto because that's where he was when he was really sick. Um, originally, we had an actor play my dad's voice because I didn't want to stress my dad. For those that don't know, uh, my father got glioblastoma, which is the highest form of brain cancer. So. Um, it was it was a very, very tough battle for him that involves, you know, infecting your speech. So I didn't want to stress him out to do this skit. I'm very grateful to Shiloh for imposing the idea to record my father's voice and make it happen. And he, he literally is 100% responsible for my dad's voice being on the record. So that's that. Yep. What did your dad think of the project before he, he passed? I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, he may have heard it. Um, but where he was at at that point with his cancer, it was, I wasn't pushing him so hard to, to be a critical listener. Like, you know, like with Port Authority, he had Port Authority in his van for, you know, since 2007, he had a, a copy that he kept in the car. So he knew the music, but um, I don't think that he was able to really digest uh, the album like that. He definitely heard it. That's for sure. He heard his part. Uh, but yeah, he was he was very sick at that point. So he he definitely heard it, but there was no there was no music conversations like how it was, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But rest in peace to your dad. Rest in peace. Um, we've talked a lot about the producers you've been influenced by. Um, how did it feel on on Get Shot when you first heard it? When Ace kind of immortalized you alongside some of your influences? Give me Creams. Give me Marcos, give me, give me Blazes, you know, give me Pete Great. Rocks, um, big up Jazzy Jeff and, and, and Gilly, where he stays. How did it feel like you, 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 you're someone who's very reflective, someone who's very conscious of legacy. How did it feel to be, you know, put on wax? Um, and especially given that I, I went onto your MySpace and um, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you've got one of your influences as uh, Pete Rock. So obviously like, of course, I understand why, but it must have, Hearing that for the first time must have filled you a lot of joy. How did it feel when you first heard it? I mean, it's amazing. I'll, I'll say one thing about me, though, is that I don't do well with uh, compliments. I, they, they just, I, I appreciate them and I listen, but I really, like, I hear it quick and I'm like, keep it moving, keep busting your ass, keep working. Like, that's my motto. Like, the props is, like, amazing and to be even suggested in those group of people is outlandish to me so thank you ace like it's amazing that you put me in in such company but i just yeah i just really take that energy and uh keep myself in check and i will let, let the music speak and, and drive me to become better and better to one day maybe i could get a couple more tears up to be close to these guys you know what i'm saying so yeah okay um, I read an interview that you did in 2017. Now, you've worked with Westside Gun, who's Griselda um, focuser. You worked with Westside Gun on Hitler Wears Hermes 4. Um, and in a 2017 interview, you talked about wanting to work with Conway. Now, outside of the remix that you did, has that happened yet? Have you done a joint with him yet, or is that still yet to happen? No, it still has to happen. 
I sent him beats a while ago. Nothing happened. Um, but yeah, I definitely have sent him joints and we spoke. Uh, we know each other. Uh, but it just, yeah, it just hasn't, hasn't happened at this point. And um, I mean, I could definitely keep feeding him beats. You know, usually when I make a bunch of beats in that realm, I'll send them to him. But if I'm not in that vibe and I don't have them, nothing really happens. So I definitely would love to still do a join with him one day. So if it happens naturally, dope. If not, it's all good. Like, that's another thing I've had um, conversations with about people is that when I was younger, you know, I wanted to work with everyone dope. But now as I get older, I really am a fan of just being a fan sometimes. Like, I do feel like there's certain producers that are just better at working with certain MCs. And if I never work with Conway and I just hear Derringer forever, I had no problems with that. Derringer is their dude. You know what I'm saying? Like back in the day when we were coming up, especially in the late nineties, like producers weren't working with everybody like that. Like Illmatic kind of changed the game, but like producers stuck with their click and it actually provided so much more diversity in hip hop music that does not exist anymore because literally we all work with everybody and i'm not saying that's not dope but it's kind of like native tongues had a sound gangstar had a sound p rock and cl then of course pete and preem started working with everybody but for a long time producers had their producers and they didn't really go you know you hear a yeah but but like dudes kind of kept it in the camp because they had their own sound wu-tang was wu-tang's a a very good example rizzo wouldn't like he wouldn't let any of the clan members work with anyone like i remember metaman had to sneak out uh, for the what? Because RZA wouldn't let him do it. There it is, right? And uh, you know, nobody wants to be on that level of like protectiveness, but it, it had something to do with everybody having their own sound and making hip hop as a whole culture more interesting to me. You know, RZA had his guys under him like True Master and Fourth Disciple, but they still fit into that sound. It made sense. You know, uh, Tribe Called Quest was was Shahid and Q Tip and Dilla. And like dudes had a sound that was like nobody else's, you know, and Prince Paul with De La Soul, um, the Beat Nuts did their beats, the Beat Miners did all the duck down shit. Like dudes had sounds. DITC, we could, yeah. DITC, like everyone had a unique individual sound. And I really feel that that made hip hop more interesting. Like, um, so now when people come up and you have a crew like Griselda that really started on Derringer's beats, like that's their thing. So like I sit back and I'm like, yeah, I want to work with Conway, but if it doesn't happen, like it's cool. Like they're making great music and I can just be satisfied listening to the shit they're doing. Now they're working with a bunch of producers, but for me personally, like I enjoyed them on Derringer. And then if I'm going to pick somebody second, it's Alchemist, you know, but Derringer is really the heart and soul of their, their raw sound. So. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, you talk about diversity a lot um, in terms of each camp having their own sound. How do you keep your boom bap sounding fresh? Because I, I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I want to I want to share with you. When I heard the jungle for um, Pharaoh Munch, I lost my mind. Like I lost my mind <laughs> when I heard um, War for Pharaoh Munch. Pharaoh Munch, you and Pharaoh Munch sound good together actually. Um, when I heard War. And then you had the guitars with Vernon Reed at the end. Is this I, internet bugging or is that just it, me? No, it's, it's his internet bugging now. Chris, you're going to have to ask that question again. Okay, so can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, so yeah, um, you talk about diversity in, in, in sound um, and all the different crews and regions having their own thing. Um, how do you keep your sound fresh in, in spite of this? Because you work with different people. How, how do you make people know, okay, listen, 
this is a Marco Polo beat. And how are you going to keep me doing, doing the gas face and the lemon face and the scrunch face when I hear beats like The Jungle and War and Trifactor? I think the, my thing to make my shit distinct is the drums. You know, it's got to be hard in the drum department. That's what I do. Uh, I got to shit. That's how I came up is, is hearing people that were heavy into drum production, DITC, you know, Buck Wild, Diamond D, Lord Finesse, you know, DJ Premier, P Rock. Like these guys were heavy on the drums. Uh, and that's, that's the school of production I come from even to this day, as much as people try and, stopped using hard drums and it has stopped or no drums or you know which is cool like i don't think i could ever get on that that vibe like sometimes i'll make beats that are more minimal but i'm very drum driven in my production if you follow me i literally you know have have my pad tied drum kits i'm all about pushing people to have drums smack you in the face you know that's you know it has an energy it's raw it's hardcore like that's the shit i love i'm a boom bap guy you know, I appreciate all types of music, but that's the Marco Polo sound is when it drops and the kicks and the snares and the bass lines. That's that's me. Good also. I mean, I, I totally agree. I, to, I totally agree yeah. with you. Agreed. We have we have some bonus questions. Do you have a few more minutes, Mr. Polo? Yeah. All right. Check this out. I was on a who sampled today. Please don't please don't <laughs> throw stones at me, please. Boo. <laughs> I was on I was on your page. Right. Because I was I was trying to find something. Um, and I saw there was a long thread about some of your sample sources being removed. And that was me. That, uh, yeah, I, I know it's you, yes. Um, some people aren't happy with you. Um, sample snitching is a thing. Uh, for, for, for the benefits of those who don't understand what it is, as a producer, can you please explain to us what are some of the legal dangers and the cultural boundaries that get crossed when people list samples? Yeah, so let's talk about this whole who sampled so who sampled a site that lists samples producers use and let me be honest of course i've looked on it before and used it as a resource but uh 80 of us in the underground sample records and we do not clear them that's just the fucking facts so we don't have the money we don't make enough money so most of the times we are not legally going through the channels that you're supposed to when you when you sample someone you're supposed to pay for it and most of us do not do that you know i'm not going to say no names um so <clears throat> when you list a bunch of things on a site that can incriminate my work and put me in legal and financial danger that is very disrespectful to me so now here's the thing if you go into my catalog and find out the samples i've legally cleared list them all day no problem guys all good but when you do not you're fucking with my with my livelihood and some people want to challenge that or be like this and that but that's the bottom line so when it affects your pockets um it's a much different situation so yes if you go on who sampled you're just going to see scratches of my catalog you're not going to see a lot of my work and i'm okay with that and maybe it hurts me because a lot of people go there and maybe i'm less known because i'm not on who sampled but man I don't make a lot of money to begin with. So to take the little I have over some stuff that I'm not even making tons of money on and off platinum records, like fuck that. So it's a good idea and it's a good resource, but they should really stick to, to, to putting up people's samples that are legally cleared because yeah, go listen to fucking Primo skit on moment of truth. Yeah. That was, I was, when I was reading the thread, I'm like, yeah, this is, this, <laughs> this is the Primo skit all over again. 
You what did the premier say? You know, stop doing that. Yeah. You know how we feel about that. Stop doing that. Y'all are violating straight up and down. I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away. You you put the name. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I I, I um, I'm a, I'm a hip hop head. I can actually remember skits. Um, I am the actual factual. You got your name from uh, Ayatollah Marco Polo. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So my government name is Marco. So that's my name to begin with. But yeah, when I moved to New York, I didn't really have a producer name. I had an alias that was terrible that I'll go to the grave with. So yeah. Now no, we we gotta hear that. No, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. You, 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 now you've started. There's a saying when we have quiz shows. Uh, you've started, so you can finish. <laughs> no, it's never gonna happen. So bad. <laughs> That's going great with me. Um, Shiloh's the only person that knows that name, I think. Uh, anyways, doesn't matter. It wasn't dope. And yeah, I was hanging around with Ayatollah. Shouts to my boy who, who introduced me to Ayatollah, and Ayatollah just started calling me Marco Polo when I first moved to New York. And I said, you know what? I'm keeping that name because when I'm 40, people still call me Marco instead of fucking Johnny Street Fire or something crazy, you know? And uh, so it's good. <laughs> so shouts to Ayatollah. Yeah, he's another one of my um, he's another one of my favorite producers. His his sound, man, his bass lines and his yeah. drums. Very, 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 very serious. Sumit, you have a couple of bonus questions before we wrap up. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to take it to Toronto and being the resident Asian on this uh, on this podcast, Russell Peters. Um, uh, uh, we got to talk about Russell. Now, we know he's a hip hop head. I, I hear in his house, he's got, was it, yeah, I think he's in the house. He's got like a whole sound system connected to every single room. You have DJ Jazzy Jeff come and just play records and every single room be playing whatever Je Jeff has out. How did you get to work with Russell Peters for his kind of first comedy DVD specials? Okay, so shouts to Russell, one of the greatest humans to ever exist on the planet. Russell Peters, our fellow Canadian, uh, when I was coming up early in New York, he was coming up as a comedian. In Canada, he was already established, but he was trying to do his thing in New York. He's a hip hop head and he's also a DJ. He used to b-boy and he still DJs to this day. So he is like, if you go to a live show, he has DJ Spin Bad, and starting from scratch, who's another legendary Toronto DJ on stage, open up all his shows. So he's a hip hop dude. So when I was doing, when I dropped Port Authority, I did like a, a FaceTime call with, with DJ Revolution and Russell Peters was with him and he put him on the phone. And I was like, yo, fellow Canadians, it was only a matter of time before we connect. Big, big shouts, you know, we had mutual respect. Then I got his info and I was like, yo, let's do some work. And um, shouts to Russell Peters. He gave me my first big check for doing a, a beat for red white and brown which is uh, one of his first dvds and i did the the beat that comes in the beginning with spin bad yep. scratching that and sorry russell i gotta shut you up because you're a great dude but he cut me a check for ten thousand dollars to do that beat wow so, amazing amazing wow. so he is an amazing person. And then I did more music with him. Me and Ace did a song called, a random song called I Refuse. It actually has a video, it's on YouTube. Wordsworth is on the hook. That's another song we did for one of his specials, um, which was really dope. And yeah, me and Russell, Russell have a special relationship because when he was coming up in New York, I had all the underground connects to his favorite rappers and he was doing these shows. So he would hit me up and be like, yo, can you invite Sean Price, Pharaoh, 
buckshot. And like, literally he would give me like the VIP guest list and I would just call him up and he'd be like, yo, there's this comedian. He's super funny. Maybe you haven't heard, but like roll through. So a lot of these dudes had no idea who he was. And then they show up to Madison Square Garden, like backstage. And they're like, what the fuck is happening? Like, I've never heard of this dude, but he knows me. And he's like fucking on stage in front of 20,000 people. And so I'm proud to say that I was definitely the liaison to a lot of people that now have become some of his closest friends because he's a hip hop head. So yes, Russell is notorious for um, befriending all the greats of hip hop because he's a fan and hanging out with them and just they're always around. So yes, if I go stay at his crib, the chances of many legends also being there at the same time, like Lord Finesse or Jazzy Jeff or fucking Melly Mel who used to go on tour with him and do his intros, you know, or Eric B or it's that's just that's the Russell Peters life. If you're around Russell, hip hop dudes are around there. And he showed a lot of love to the culture and a lot of love to these people in terms of supporting them and, you know, just getting them back in the mix and getting them involved in his career. And, you know, Russell also executive produces um, the show on Netflix. Yeah. Um, hip, -hop, hip hop evolution, I think. Evolution did a great job with that. Shouts to him. Shouts to Shad uh, from Toronto. But Russell is just such a hip hop head. Like, shit he wouldn't want nobody to know. When Sean Price died, Russell called me and was like, yo, I want to pay for the funeral. Like, this dude, and I have to, and, and he'd probably be pissed even that I said that, but like, this is the level of respect and love. It makes me emotional because he's so generous and kind with his, straight up with his wealth, which is success to share it with the people that he you know holds for high regards like it's it's truly amazing and i haven't spoken to him in a while he called me i think a couple months ago but um he's just like one of the greatest people and a lot of people don't know that side of him so i'm happy to share that and blow up the spot on something like that but he's a dude that in a second will will help out a pioneer or an og if they're in a jam you know what i'm saying and like yeah. it's amazing to watch so yeah. shouts no, I, I, I think there's something that you both share, which is the homage and legacy and pay and, and understanding where you've come from and, and, and doing it right, doing service to the culture that given us so much history. One of the reasons why I reached out to you, one of the reasons why I reached out to OC was about celebration. We want to celebrate the people who've given us so much, the culture and, and added so much to our life. So, no, I, I mean, I love Russell for, for many reasons. One, being brown and comedian, but actually being a very good comic and actually knowing rap. He knows rap and he can scratch. He can scratch like a DJ, and I love that. So, no, I, I, definitely, I definitely love um, uh, Russell. The only last question I have, from my point of view, was uh, when was or have you ever uh, been mistaken for the I&I &I rapper? All the time. All the time. <laughs> but, but not in the physical sense, obviously, because no. Marco Polo is black. So, but... I think it kind of worked to my advantage in the beginning because people didn't know we were different. So maybe I got a couple more looks because of this. People subconsciously thought I was down with P-Rock. So uh, over the years, I've definitely over a thousand times publicly gave props to Marco Polo from I and I and clearly said that is not me and shouts to them. Um, so yes, many times. And that was just me being young at the time and thinking, well, my name's Marco, like I can roll with this name. But had I have known what I've known now and, and Tola started calling me that, I might have just thought and been like, how many Marco Polos are there? Should I did this? Mm. And maybe I like, you know what, come up with something else. But it is what it is, man. It's not, it's not, it's all love with them anyways. I've actually never met, you know, obviously I've met Pete and Grab Love, I know them. 
but I've never met uh, Marco Polo from INI. So shouts to him. We both exist. We both have our contributions and it's all love. I have one last question before we wrap this up. On the skit for A Brooklyn Story, where you, you're in the cutting room and you walk in and you give Ace the CD, right? Now, I've met Master Ace. I've interviewed him, right? He's a very calm and lovely guy to me. Like, the way he said on the skit, put your CD in. We'll listen to it right now. Did he really put you on the spot like that? That skit is a thousand percent fabricated for the, for, the, for the sake of entertainment purposes. I knew it. I knew it. I said, there's no way Master Ace put him on the spot like that. That's cruel, man. Well, there's, first of all, there's no way he would do that. And, and B, there's no way I would have did that. I would have right. never... <laughs> and session like, yo... Listen to my seat. I'm not, I was never that dude. I picked my moments. Ace got his CD either when A, he was leaving in the elevator and he was done working. I was like, yo, I just slid in like appeared like out of nowhere, like Harry Houdini, like, hey, here's my CD. You know, I kicked, I was the king of picking the appropriate moments because I was working at the cutting room as an employee. So I didn't want word getting back to the owner that I was, you know, harassing the clientele with my fucking personal agenda. So I had to pick my moments very wisely and ace got a cd at an appropriate non-disrespectful time so sometimes you got to do stuff to make it for the for the entertainment purposes and that was one of those skits. no I, it was a it was a it was a it was a good skit it was a good skit but i you know some it's a question i've been asking i'm like nah that that don't sound like master ace to me but good job some skits are real on that album though some are very real but that one's that one's made up yeah and there's a beat on the album that was from the original cd yes or no there's two beats that go back a long way and that's uh, get shot and you and I, those are very old beats. You and okay. I is the old, you and I was the oldest beat though. That goes back to like 2006. I revamped the drums a little bit, but that beat is old as hell. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nice one. I, I mean, I'm on Marco Polo now. I've enjoyed this conversation. Like, it's been great. like I tell you, man, I'm a big fan. We're big fans of you. And um, I'm going to tell people that I spoke to Marco Polo and I'm very, very jealous. <laughs> Well, let me just give you guys props because um, if I don't notice the time when I do interviews, it means I'm having a good time and I appreciate it. And based on all the things you guys are talking about, you know, we, you know, us artists, we have egos. If I see that you guys know random songs, this is the real deal. Because sometimes you get caught up with people that would just hit you up because they know a joint or two and the interview doesn't go to an interesting place at all. So props to you guys for actually being legitimate you know, listeners and knowing stuff besides nostalgia or whatever the top five tracks on, on, you know, Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, you know it, it means, it means a lot to us, Marco, because yeah, that's our, that's our thing. We like to go into detail. And in the last month alone, we have had Tracy Lee, OC and yourself tell us this. And this is why nobody can't tell me nothing. Like can't tell me nothing, man. You're going to have to have no problems moving forward. You know what I'm saying? If you're rocking artists like that and like, knowing their shit, they're going to enjoy every moment because that's why we do this, to be appreciated for these little moments, for you to shout out Professor at Large and Can Goods, like shit that I'm like, 30 people know Can Goods, like you're one of the 30 people. <laughs> tomorrow, so this will, come out, this will come out after we've done that interview, but tomorrow we're interviewing Mike Geronimo. Oh, dope. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to interview, so we're just trying to get everything back because our thing is we like to delve in deep into issues, um, into certain aspects, into, you know, our 50th episode was uh, a retrospective on DITC, right? That's, we just talked about the crew, 
talked we talked about how uh, showbiz needs his own episode he needs his propers we 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 gone, we kind of go into that realm i want to say one thing before we wrap this up chris um if you could look at marco polo's behind marco polo's background look at his background and you see the plethora of records he has and mm-hmm. look behind my background with my you know couple of records you know my thundercat my uh, so i've got a dave Chappelle. i've got nigerian funk from the 70s uh, I've got Big Daddy Kane uh, Raw, the 12-inch, and I've got Thundercat, the Ron G, uh, chopped and screwed version, and a couple of cassettes. But see, that's what I'm trying to aspire to. I'm not even a DJ. I mm. don't think my wife will have, let me have that many records. Nah, but ain't happening. Ain't happening. I'm trying, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to build up the collection, you see. Um, but yeah, I just want to point that out. I'm sitting here with my records, and look, Polo's just got like, a, like <laughs> thousands, thousands. Mm. Mm. That's, that's what my that's what my life is about man that's what keeps producers sounding fresh and different is what you see behind me it's a whole life dedicated to this it never stops it's a university with no graduation date you know it's an addiction it's a love like these are the things that give producers an edge is finding something that no one literally ace just gave me his 45 collection if you've been following me you've yeah i saw that i'm losing my mind just going through it and i actually just started making beats with it and it's going to be a heavy part of the next album is what transpires from that collection. And it's amazing. And it gives me creative energy. It makes me look at music different. Sometimes you stop making beats and just listen for a while. Sometimes you got to shut up and listen in general. And uh, for me as a producer, just being quiet and listening to old records for two weeks is, will really help me. So, yeah. yeah. Marco, what have you got coming up next? I, I heard rumblings about an instrumental album, plug your stuff where we can find you on social media and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. My, my first, uh, well, not my first, but a new beat album called uh, MP on the MP volume one, the beat tape. Uh, I just sent the master into the pressing plant. So it's going to be the first release uh, on my label called Spaghetti Bender Music. And I'm doing 300 LPs, very limited run um, and cassette. It's uh, 12 beats that were in the stash that are really dope. And uh, yeah, man. It's not going to be, it's going to be a real, like, get them while you can. And it's, it'll be out probably, I'm going to get to test presses in three weeks. So I would say probably a couple months it'll drop. I'll put pre-orders on my website. So if you're a vinyl head or you're a collector, definitely stay tuned to my site because once those are gone, they are gone. Uh, and I'm excited. Um, <clears throat> and that kind of goes hand in hand with my new YouTube show, which is called MP on the MP. I just did the first season where I get real nerdy for seven episodes about all types of producer stuff. So probably with every season that I do of that, a new beat album will, will drop. So that's one thing. Uh, and then me and Ace are working on album number two. It's going to be a process, but uh, we just started doing a couple things. And besides that, me and Torre got a bunch of joints. Uh, hopefully we're going to continue working on that. Okay. Um, I want to drop I want to drop it now. I just want to drop an EP to remind people, but he really wants to like finish the whole album and drop that. So that's cool. We'll do that. Um, and besides that, yeah, guys, I'm going to be honest. I'm locked, I'm locked in with Ace now and I really like it. I like working with someone who wants to work with me. And if people approach me that I think are dope and they're like, let's work, I'm down. But like the days of me, like messaging random people and chasing people, it's, it's less inspiring to me, you know? I'll send a message sometimes to somebody I want to work with, but if it don't happen naturally, like I'm good. I'm good falling back and working with Ace on our shit and us touring when, whenever that happens again in the new world. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, man, it's, it's nice to just rock with people that, that value you and like mm. rep you. 
that's inspiring to me. So, so, yeah. so Marco, thank you so much for your time. We want to thank you for your contributions, everything from canned goods to Port Authority to, um, I, I even have the Hannibal Stacks album. Yeah. All wow. of that, all of that stuff. We thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to be checking for what you do and we're supporting it all day, every day. Thanks, guys. Have a great day and I really appreciate it. And, you know, tag me in the links of if you post on social so I can put it in my stories and people can see all my blabbing. So <laughs> thank you so much. Call, mate. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, take it easy. Well, that's the Marco Polo episode done. I mean, if you've listened to that, if you've listened to that and not thought yourself, wow, what a nice guy. And also what a very reflective, um, what a reflective guy, the way he shouts out people who have come before him, people who are his peers. He's very respectful, always paying homage. And I get the feeling, like I said in the interview about legacy, he wants to leave a legacy with his music. And I really like that. Um, and I think we find a kinship in that in ourselves because for us, it's not about money or anything like that. It's about how we document the culture. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I've really enjoyed that interview. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, like I said, man, I've been listening to Marco Polo since like 2004. Yeah. Something like that. So, yeah, yeah I, I, know his, I know his music intimately, man. Like, I know it intimately. He was a, he was a pleasure to speak to. And I'm just really excited for the stuff that he's, he's got coming up. I am going to be listening to Port Authority 1 and 2 at the gym tomorrow. If I actually make it, um, you know, that, that could be a very unlikely occasion. Um, but yeah, man, big up to big up to Marco Polo, like definitely on Shiloh. We we we've got yes, to talk to Shiloh at some point. Yeah, definitely. no, definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, but we've got more interviews coming up soon, Chris. I'm really, really excited. <laughs> um, as always, you can follow us on social at Break the Atoms. You can find us on every podcast platform. Search for us, Breaking Atoms podcast. Subscribe. Let us know what you think. Um, also, let, uh, and make sure you follow uh, Marco Polo. He's got some great things coming up. Um, limited run of vinyl, cassette, beat tapes. Come on, man. We, we, we've got so much to get to <laughs> with, with Marco. So um, until the next time, until the next interview, I should say. Mm. Peace. Peace.